Welcome to episode 300 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiatherlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get 30% off one of my all-time favorite things for sleep ever. So did you know that your pillowcases can have truly anti-aging qualities for your skin, for your hair, and for your body? I am not making this up. Okay, so here is my silk pillowcase history. I started using silk pillowcases years ago. Here's the thing. It was hard to actually find silk pillowcases and budget. I wasn't sure what I was getting. The whole thing was just sort of sketchy, and I never really had a great experience. Then I found Blissey. Blissey makes award-winning 100% mulberry silk pillowcases that are affordable and come in so many incredible patterns and colors. They are not satin, so that's one of the things. There are a lot of silk dupes on the market that are actually satin. Satin is made from synthetic fibers like polyester, aka plastic, while silk is a luxurious, all-natural, sustainable fiber. It's breathable, it's moisture wicking, it's gentle. I am all about sleep and sleeping cool is so important to me. Sleeping on silk is a game changer. It's like laying in a soft, comforting, cool cloud that just whisks you off to dreamland. When I travel or stay other places, I miss my blissy silk pillowcases so much. Although actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm gonna start bringing them with me when I travel. This is an in real time epiphany right here. I'm gonna start doing that. Okay, this is exciting. And I originally got them because I heard they were great for your hair and skin. Oh my goodness, that is so true. Sleeping on silk actually reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents breakages. It does that by keeping the moisture in your hair and not putting rubbing, tension, and pressure on your skin. If you wanna get your beauty rest, you need to be sleeping on silk pillowcases. Here's the other conundrum with silk pillowcases. When I would buy silk pillowcases in the past, the washing instructions were essentially the equivalent of don't wash them because silk is really delicate. Blissey is changing all of that. They are so high quality that they are machine washable and durable. Yes, I wash mine all the time and they still look the same as when I first bought them. It's really actually kind of crazy. They also make incredible presents. They come in adorable packaging that is gift ready. So if you need presents for birthdays, for holidays, stop stressing about that and get Blissey pillowcases. Everybody loves them. And yes, men love them too. Blissey was even the 2021 Good Housekeeping winner for Best Bedding and they've been featured in Oprah Daily, Allure, Glamour, Pop Sugar, and so much more. Blissey has over 1 million raving fans, and you could be next. And you can try it now risk-free for 60 nights. Yes, friends, risk-free. So if you don't like them, you can just send them back. But I don't think you'll want to do that, but just putting it out there. You can go to blissey.com slash podcast and get an additional 30% off. 
Yes, additional. So if they're on sale, you still get that 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash IF podcast and use code IF podcast to get an additional 30% off. Your skin and hair will thank you. Your sleep will thank you. Your body will thank you. I love Blissy. I am so excited to have them on this show. Blissy.com slash IF podcast with code IF podcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 300 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Very exciting milestone episode here. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. How are you, Cynthia? I'm doing well, despite, you know, navigating travel back to small airports. I was laughing slash texting with you last night, sharing all the insights I was gleaming, being stuck in an airport for seven hours with a long delay. Yes, we were talking about the food options, healthy or not, fasting or not, in airport layovers. So I'm glad you survived. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, I'm such an observer as an introvert. Like, I just love to people watch. And the behaviors that I was watching yesterday, intermittently between like reading a book, listening to a podcast, reading another book, binging on something on Netflix was just the behavioral patterns. I think people feel a lot of pressure to eat constantly when they're in airports. And I just find that that all like super fascinating. And I think I was chronicling how like, it doesn't matter what airport I go to, I can generally get a naked burger and a salad. And that's typically what I do. Actually, the waiter yesterday, it was funny. I got off my flight from LA in Chicago and I was like, okay, plenty of time. I have like two and a half hours. I'll be great. So I went to a restaurant, got my burger, read a book. I was totally by myself. I was totally in my zone and then, you know, get to my gate. And then we realize we've got like mechanical problems. We have a, you know, I guess pilots and, and steward and stewardesses are only allowed to fly for a certain amount of time every day. So because of the, the mechanical delay, it turned into, we had a different flight crew and then it was like a seven hour instead of a two and a half hour time in between flights And I was texting with Melanie and I said, and then, you know, it's not a good sign when United rolls out the cart of snacks and the cart of snacks was gone in about two minutes. It was amazing. People were clearly quote unquote starving, but it was hilarious to kind of watch all this unfold. So I'm just grateful to be home and the fact that I got a decent amount of night's sleep and it's my last business trip of the year. So no more traveling for a while. Yeah, I feel like it definitely speaks to just how much well, A, we're inundated with food and food advertising and accessibility and also how food is really just a pastime. Like if we're bored, it's like, I mean, I'm sure people were hungry as well. It's a comfort. It fills the gap of boredom. Absolutely. You know, I get that. Like there's no judgment on my part. I just, the psychology behind, you know, the way people eat. That's why I always say like, if you eat enough protein, you're just too full. Like I literally, like, even if I had endeavored to eat the bag of Cheez-Its or goldfish or whatever myriad of stuff they had, I was like, I just grabbed a bottle of water because I was so dehydrated from traveling that I was like, I'll just grab the water and I'll just try to stay hydrated and we'll just go, we'll just go from there. Yeah. I always fast when traveling. If it was like that situation where it was a really long layover, I honestly, I would probably still fast. I would probably turn it into a, like a longer fast moment just because I don't feel comfortable like with lots of food in me and trap, like it makes me sluggish. And yeah, I was definitely, I wore, so people probably be humored. Like I've got a whole like wardrobe of things I wear when I travel so that I can wear layers. So I'm never cold. 
because traveling through Chicago, it was, it was actually the airport was quite cold, which actually wasn't a problem. I was like, okay, I got a sweater. I'll just put that on. But I had Spanx like leggings on all day because they're super comfortable. They weren't comfortable at like hour 18. <laughs> they were definitely, when my husband picked me up, I was like, there's too much compression on my stomach and I've been doing a lot of sitting. And he was like, what are you trying to tell me? And I said, you know how I talk about like there's specific things I wear when I travel this is not the outfit if I'm doing more than like 14 hours of travel. There's just too much compression on my stomach. My stomach was like not happy with me at all. I can't wear Spanx at all. That's how you know you don't have GI issues. Yeah, like they're they're definitely different. They're super comfortable actually. It's just that amount. It would be like trying to wear like Lululemon tights all day long and traveling. It's just, it's a lot of compression on your gut. Well... Speaking of, we probably TMI. This is a good this is a good segue into our Q and A because it's like there may be a little TMI today. So for listeners, we really wanted to celebrate episode three hundred. Quite a milestone. There's a lot of episodes. I think actually for every well, there's only been two other hundred mile markers. So episode one hundred and episode two hundred. I think for both of those, we did an AMA episode. So continuing the tradition, going to do an Ask Me Anything. And we got so many amazing questions that we're anticipating this will probably be a part one, part two, maybe a part three. We'll see how it goes. We got so many really great questions in the Facebook group, which people should join, which is I have biohackers, intermittent fasting plus real foods plus life. That's that's my personal Facebook group. But I asked in that group for Ask Me Anything questions and we got so many. So what I did was I divided them into categories and I think we'll just alternate between, you know, more personal ones, more health and wellness related ones. We'll, we'll just see where it goes. I have a lot of questions. I'm very excited about this. So Cynthia, should we jump in? Yes, we should. So I'm thinking we might, cause I have, like I said, it's by categories. So I might alternate with like the life hack ones and the likes and things like that with the more health related. So here's a good life hack. That's kind of both. And this comes from Nicole. What's one piece of advice you'd give someone looking to get healthier? Oh, gosh. I think, and it's funny, I I was out in LA and I did four podcasts and pretty consistently, the one for me is sleep as a foundational element to health for anyone at any stage of life. And I would say really investing in high quality sleep and, and really starting with the foundations, not necessarily rushing to a supplement, but you know, doing the things that we know improve sleep quality, daily exercise, light exposure in the morning, getting off electronics, wearing blue blockers, making sure you don't eat two to three hours before bed unless you're a unicorn. I think those are the things that I really think about. I think we we like to make things very complicated. And I always say, before you even think about adding a supplement, make sure you're doing the sleep hygiene pieces, you know, sleeping in a cold, dark room, you know, I sleep with a sleep mask. I keep the thermostat at 65 degrees. In fact, it was funny when I came home last night, it was 69 degrees on our second floor. And the first thing I said to my family was, oh, we're going to drop the thermostat because I need it at 65. And everyone was like, we've been sleeping at a much warmer temperature. And I'm like, I can't do that. (laughs) So I would probably say focusing in on sleep first and then adding supplements if you still need additional support. How about you, Melanie? That's a good one. I'm actually surprised I didn't think of sleep as the first thing. Whenever people ask me what's the most important thing for me to focus on, I, I think I normally do say sleep. So I'm really glad you tackled it. I had was thinking on the diet side of things and I was 
really torn between eating whole foods, not not the store, but like foods in their whole form, because that's macro agnostic. But I just think if we just return to eating real food, that can have a profound effect on people's health. So I was torn between that and fasting. <laughs> Surprise. But I actually think I would go the whole foods route. And I think that's really important. I am a huge advocate of saying that it all starts with food. And I see so many people that are, are quick to, you know, embrace the latest fad, irrespective of what it's leaning into. And I just remind people, if we just keep things simple, you know, focusing in on sleep, eating as nutrient dense foods as you can, I think that's really, really helpful. Yeah, I obviously think so as well. So I think between those two, honestly, if somebody's not addressing those two things and then they address those two things, I think the profound effect it would have on so many people's health would be crazy. And you don't even have to be really specific or do like a certain type of diet or, but that combined with the sleep, very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Keep it simple. I mean, if there's, there's one like tried and true message that I think both of us discuss consistently is keep things simple. Because if we try to make too many changes all at once, it's overwhelming. It's hard to stay, I hate to use the word compliant, but that's the easiest way to put it. It's hard to, to be consistent when you're trying to change five things at once. And that's what I think most, most people do. I mean, I certainly have been guilty of it myself, but you know, pick one thing at a time and really lean into it and master it and then move on to something else. Okay, here's a sort of fun one. And she addressed it to me, but we can both answer it. It's from Samantha. She said, Melanie, I know you are a musical theater fan. What is your favorite musical? So I'll go ahead and answer that. And I, this question, I think I might've answered this on another AMA. This question, I always feel mischaracterizes me because my answer is musicals that, it sounds like a cop-out, like, oh, she doesn't watch musicals because she's listing you know, the one that everybody says, but I promise you and listen to so many musicals, but there's a reason that these two musicals are what they are, which is Phantom and Wicked. They're just so amazing. But then my runner-ups are Next to Normal, Jekyll and Hyde, and Hamilton. I know she said your favorite, but there's so many. And then I have like 50 million more. How about you, Cynthia? A few of those I've seen. I, I grew up in New Jersey. And so my mom really prioritized taking me to Broadway. And so I did that throughout my childhood and for me, I would say Rent, I loved. I mean, I still can listen to the music. Wicked, I, I saw that on Broadway with the original cast just by like complete happenstance. Whoa. Okay, wait, I have a question. Oh, I have a question. Oh, this is, did you see it? Because when it first came out, it was a bomb. Like it didn't. Did you see it before it got famous? No, I saw it after, but it was with Kristen Chenoweth and... So there was fanfare surrounding it when you saw it. It wasn't... Because when it first came out, it did not take off. Yeah, because it was 2000... Was it 2005, six, Somewhere around there. Because I, I was up there for a medical conference and my girlfriend was like, we should go see this play. And I was kind of like, okay. I had no idea what it was really even about. And then I just saw Hamilton and I've been wanting to see Hamilton on Broadway for, I don't know, five years. And with the pandemic, that kind of nixed our ability to do that. And that was amazing. Like, to me, I have so much respect and reverence for people that work in the creative arts. I am not the least bit like, don't ask me to sing, don't ask me to act or dance in front of other people. I would be so embarrassed. I'd want to crawl in a hole. But I love to watch really talented people perform. Like I just have so much respect and admiration because it's so very different than where my zones of genius are. 
And so, you know, as I was sitting there watching Hamilton with my, my husband and my boys, and I was like, God, I feel so lucky to be in this zone of greatness, like watching these really talented actors and actresses do what they do best. That is the exact way I feel. Yeah. I, I, I'm the kind of person, like, I actually get emotional when I'm watching people when they're really, really good at what they do, whether it's dancing or singing or a play. Like, I get emo- I get a little, like, teary, but it's almost, like, out of total admiration that I'm I'm witnessing their greatness. Yeah. No, I... I feel the same. And actually, I had a similar experience. I saw the original cast of Next to Normal. It was one of those things where I went in like you to Wicked, like I didn't really know what I was going into. And then I was just blown away. Love musicals. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. 
Here's another one. And this kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier. What are your tricks for keeping your stomach from puffing out? Do you use banks for that? I mean, I don't generally have issues related to bloating. I mean, I, I, I'm probably blessed genetically with some of this on my own. Obviously, if I, you know, I don't, I no longer get a menstrual cycle, but when I did, when I was sometimes right before my period and I would feel bloated, Spanx is great for that. And there's like different layers of levels of Spanx. So it's not all like so constrictive. You feel like you're going to die. For me, quite honestly, it's finding a balance between protein and vegetables. And this is going to sound odd, but I'll just, I'll kind of layer this in. When I'm eating a very protein dense diet and I'm eating cooked vegetables, I have little to no bloating. But if I like go on a salad binge, like I mean, a lot of raw vegetables, that can sometimes give me a little bit of bloat. So I have to kind of moderate that. I got most of my bloating, quite honestly, from gluten and dairy. And now that I don't have those in my diet, it's not as much of an issue, but I can tell you, and I know we have a parasite question in this Google Doc that we're looking at. When we talk about parasites, I will tell you about my bloating issues, but generally speaking, not a lot. And I think a great deal of that has to do with dietary choices and not overeating. Like I just don't, I feel so miserable if I've overeaten or if I've eaten too much food that I just, I know where my sweet spot is. And if I'm kind of leaning into the protein and cooked vegetables, I'm, I do really well. How about you? Yeah. So, well, first thing I wrote was just suck it in. <laughs> well, I mean, here, here's the other thing before you, before you say the next thing, a lot of people, when they talk about like bloating, it's really not bloating. It's because their core is not very strong. And so I've always, again, I think some of this is just probably the innately how I was made, but I've always had a pretty strong core and I've always done Pilates. I've always done a lot of, you know, core focused work. And so I, if you think about, you know, your rectus abdominis and and all, you know, your obliques and all these muscles that work together to kind of hold you in and hold you up. If they're not strong, that can contribute to people perceiving that they're having bloating when it's really just, they have muscles that need a little bit of work, if that helps. So that's interesting. That reminds me of two things. One, I have this childhood memory. I don't know how old I was. I was probably like nine or 10. And some aunt commented on my stomach sticking out. Oh, well, sometimes kids have like lordosis and it's not even that their stomach's sticking out. It's they have like a suede lower back. It has nothing to do with the belly sticking out. That's what the aunt said. She was like, oh, it's like this runs in the family or something. But do you know how like traumatic that is to be told that? People sometimes are thoughtless. (laughs) They just don't realize their filter's off. It's like you could have said that or just not said that and we would have all been okay. And like not to like a nine or 10 year old. But what's interesting, I think this is a fun little also life hack. I feel like a good way to get a, a good core workout. So I saw Transiberian Orchestra recently. I realized I have my crazy concert outfit, which is like this really massive spark. It looks like a dress, but not really because it's a two piece. So it's it's like midriff bearing. And then it says massive sparkly dress. You can see it on my Instagram. It's incredible. But in any case, I feel like it's a good hack to get a stomach workout if you wear something like that out because then you're consciously holding in your stomach like the entire time, unless you forget. But my first tip was just suck it in. My second tip was based on, yeah, the digestion and finding the diet that works for you. And for me, digestive enzymes are game changers for that. So finding a digestive enzyme supplement that works might help. And also, like Cynthia was saying, finding the dietary combination. A lot of people, for me, low FODMAP works really well. And that keeps me not loaded. 
Oh, also, oh, here's one. If you go carnivore, (laughs) for a lot of people, your stomach will probably get very flat. I experience that. And whenever I do experiment with a time of just meat, there's zero bloating. Well, if we, when, when we, when, and if we get to the parasite question in this episode, we can talk about this because that's how I knew something was very wrong and very, very wrong. And I always say like going back to an anti-inflammatory, like a real anti-inflammatory diet can sometimes be, you know, partial carnivore or carnivore for a couple of weeks can really be hugely impactful. But I always say like, like just perceiving you have bloating is very different than looking six months pregnant bloating. Like there's that continuum that I think is important to identify. I'm starting to think this might be like a four-part episode. It'll be like the AMA month. It'll be like January, the AMA month. (laughs) Okay. So David, have either of you taken a DNA stool analysis for parasites? Yes. Multiple times. I have had parasites like more benign parasites like blastocystis, which is very common. And and let me just back up and say, it is very common to see parasites even in first world countries. So don't think that, oh, you haven't traveled. There's no way you've been exposed. It's really more about exposure and susceptibility. But I think that the really exciting story to share is my Morocco tales, because that's where I got the worst food poisoning of my life. And I had probably an acute parasite issue that morphed into a fairly significant parasite issue. And we believe is a reason why I ended up developing a ruptured appendix and being so sick and necessitated. So let me back up further and say that you can have an acute reaction to a parasite infestation, and then you can have chronic parasitic infections. And so I have had both. And the second one was harder to tease out, but I'm grateful that I have amazing colleagues who, as soon as they told, I told them my symptoms, they were like, you definitely have X. And I kept saying, no, no, I've, I've done a GI map and they didn't show it. And I ended up going through a parasite expert who puts your stool, your poop in a slide and looks at it under a microscope. So microscopy, which is pretty important. And I indeed had two parasites and I had candida and I had E. coli. And within one dose of antibiotics, I felt like a different person, but it was so, there was no question there was something wrong with my gut because I had tremendous bloating. By the end of the day, I looked six months pregnant, which is a problem because there's no way I'm pregnant. I had horrible, horrible gas, like distinctively bad, foul smelling gas. And I just didn't feel good. Like it didn't matter how much I slept, what I ate. It it just, it was like this, as soon as I ate, it started this whole bloating gas, loose stools situation that went on for probably a month until I had gotten the stool results back. It was actually an expensive test. It's done out of a lab in New Mexico, but for me, life-changing. Like I didn't want to go on it. I literally had to take one, one day of one antibiotic to kill this thing. And I was so grateful that... I had something that could treat it. Do you know what antibiotic it was? I am. So as I am, as I am saying this, so this is Giardia. Giardia is generally transmitted in water. So if you have, like as an example, it doesn't mean everyone has a well, but if you are exposed to contaminated water or people that have Giardia and they don't wash their hands after they go to the bathroom, you can get exposed to it. So I took Tinidazole. It's T-I-N-I-D-A-Z-O-L-E. 
Wow. And it only took one and it knocks it out? Yep. We took a, it's like a large like bolus of antibiotic and my husband had to be treated too, even though he had not, we didn't, we didn't test him, but parasites can be transmitted in saliva and sexually. So I've done a lot of interesting international travel and this female physician friend of mine was adamant as soon as I talked to her, she was like, I don't even need to test you. You have Giardia. But I didn't just have Giardia. I had another friend too. <laughs> so it was pretty disgusting, but it was like literally one dose of medication. And the next day I felt a thousand percent better. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Aren't you glad you asked? It's like, I saw that question. I was like, I will be happy to answer that question because conventional testing for OVA and parasites does not always pick this up. Even the GI map, which I clinically believe is a really, really good test never pick this up. Yeah. That's one of the things, because I've done parasite stool testing, I mean, probably multiple times. And honestly, I know some of them have been negative. I don't even remember if some of them picked something up. I just remember at one point I was working with a practitioner and it came back negative, but then he was like, all your symptoms match parasites. And he said, most people have parasites. So he had me do a course of a linea, which are you familiar with that one? I am not personally, but only because I myself have not written a script for it. Okay. Yeah. So he said that it was like a game-changing anti-parasite drug that, you know, revolutionized so many of his patients. And I mean, it probably helped. It was during the time when I was at a really not feeling well place health-wise. Where So I don't really know what was doing what, but I did do that. And I also have done, I've talked about on the show before, have you taken Mimosa Pudica? I have not. I've taken a lot of stuff, but I have not taken that. Oh my goodness, Cynthia. And listeners, I know they've, they've heard me talk about it before. Okay. This stuff. I should probably do another round of it. So it doesn't kill anything. So you don't get detox effects because it's not making anything angry. <laughs> it's a very sticky, gelatinous something from some tree or something. And so the thing that's confusing about it, and the reason I'm being so hesitant, like you can look it up. People have pictures. If you put it in water, you'll see that it forms a really long mucousy string. So you end up passing that regardless. So it's going to look like you're passing parasites regardless, because it just looks like that after it comes out of you, but it will grab things. And I swear to you, I swear to you, the things that have come out by taking that were shocking to the point where I was like, I can't keep taking this. This is too scary. And that's the response. Like there, there are like groups dedicated to this basically, but it's super cheap. You can get on Amazon, Mimosa Pudica. Maybe I should make this someday. It's crazy. That's all I can say. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting as a traditionally trained provider, it's always amazing to me that there are a lot of herbs and antimicrobials, including berberine as an example, it's a potent antimicrobial that can be very effective at getting rid of pathogens. And they don't have the same detrimental impact on the gut microbiome that traditional antibiotics do. And let me be clear, there was no other option for me. There was no antimicrobial that was going to kill what I had because it was so substantial and significant. And I'm like, I will be forever grateful that I got some validation. But Having said that, it's just nice to know that there's a lot out there that we're still learning about herbs and other potent, you know, combinations of different ingredients that can be very beneficial 
at killing off what does not belong. And if you need antibiotics to kill off what does not belong, there is no shame in that either. Yeah. And and I think, so the thing I really want to emphasize about mimosa is it's not killing anything. So it's it's literally just physically grabbing stuff out of you. That's why it's so... I don't know. That's why people don't get the the detox effects like I mentioned. And that's why you can actually see like an entire things. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's for parasites specifically, but yes, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying about there are so many options and alternatives out there. And it's nice that there's more and more awareness about it, especially like with the berberine people think about that primarily for blood sugar control. But we talk about this in episode 296 with Scott Emmons. So I'll up a link to it, but it was actually first used in 3000 BC, which is so long ago and not for blood sugar control. They didn't even know that that was a thing back then, but for gut inflammation and yeah, GI health. So crazy. That actually reminds me of another question on here. Because I'm not saying antibiotics are bad, but they're definitely something where, you know, there's a a cost benefit and we don't want to be inundating ourselves with antibiotics 24-7, but we take them, you know, when necessary and they can be life-changing, like you said. So sort of in that vein, but not really because we don't really have an anti-antibiotic rule, but this question is from Amy. She says, I love the last episode where you both admitted you color your hair without shame <laughs> and not using cleaner options. I would be curious, what other things are you willing to, quote, bend the rules for? Oh, you know, I'd probably say, like, if I go to a nice spa, I mean, there's an organic one in my area, and I know what they use because we have conversations. But if someone takes me for a nice massage or I'm, you know, being treated to spa treatment, I I do not micromanage what they're using on me because I will then not relax and enjoy myself. So I'd probably say things that are leaning into pampering that are like gifts or they're just an experience. It's like I have to kind of readjust my expectations because if I start asking, then I'm going to be like hyper-focused on everything that's being used and that's actually not a lot of fun. So I would probably say that is the other thing that I'm probably, it, it, you know, in in that context, I'm probably very like laid back versus like what I purchase to use on my body at home. Very different. How about you? That's so funny. So when I go to massage or get my nails done, I always bring my own stuff. So actually, and that's good for a question later. I used to think it would be cumbersome, but I mean, I have to be always doing my nails because of Instagram and stuff like that. So I get, there's this one oil, I can put a link to it on Amazon. It's an MCT oil basically, but it's a massage MCT oil, but it's just organic MCT. You can use it for everything. So when I get a massage, I bring it with me and you know, they don't care. And when I get a manicure, it actually makes it cheaper because then I I bring that and I don't have to get all the fancy upgrades. And I, I give them that and I just let them use that for all of the lotion and everything and anything else massage oil wise. And then I got so excited because up until recently, I was having to have them use the scrubs that they have there. But over the holidays, Beauty Counter came out with a limited edition scrub and a body polish. I have that. Yeah, it's so good. So friends, if they still have that, because they they tend to um, have it a little bit past the holidays, stock up on it. I stocked up on it. So now I actually bring that. It's one of the gift sets. So now I actually bring that with me to the nail salon as well. But my other things that I bend the rules on. So, well, 
with wine at home, I only drink dry from wines. If I'm going out, I look up, people know I do this. I look up every single wine and I find the organic ones. And that's how I decide. I really want to make an app for this, by the way. So stay tuned. I should make that a goal for 2023 to get this app out there. If I am at a place and there's no organic wine, I will drink non-organic wine. (laughs) I don't enjoy that, but I will. People know I do M-Sculpt religiously. I love it. I am very concerned about the amount of radiation that it gives your body. But I think the benefits that I get from it as far as building muscle are amazing. I don't do it on my abs. People ask me that a lot, but I am, I'm a little bit concerned about doing it right over my organs like that. So I just do my, basically my extremities. So my thighs, my bottom, my butt, my arms. And then this is a big one. This is a big confession. I'm probably going to be writing about this. I haven't done it yet, but I am contemplating doing Botox preventatively in my forehead. I wasn't going to, but I had a consultation and I don't know. I started really thinking about it, like the preventative action of it and not having wrinkles down the line. So I think what I'm going to do is, because basically it's a trade-off of, you know, putting that, because it it is a neurotoxin. So putting that into your body and the cost benefit, you just have to weigh the cost benefit, I think, of you know, what matters to you or not. And if I do do it, I'm well, A, I'm going to do a ton of research. B, I really want to write like a really epic blog post about this if I do it, because I think people will think if you do Botox, that means that the rest of your skincare doesn't matter or that you don't value skincare. So I think I want to kind of educate people on, again, I need to do the research first, but if I proceed with this route, I want to maybe spread the word or awareness about the cost benefits of Botox and also why it's still super important to have really non-toxic clean skincare and why you might have both. So we shall see. Yeah. And I think that's okay. I mean, I've always been very honest. In fact, when I was on Drew's podcast for the second time, we were talking, we were talking in the context about Liver King. So I'm sure most listeners know about Liver King and how he predominantly was focusing on on like this kind of paleolithic lifestyle and eating organ meats and God bless him. He eats organ meats like with reckless abandon, like it's fascinating. But as soon as I saw him, I remember saying to my son who was like putting him up on a pedestal. So you realize that guy's on a lot of steroids. That's what everybody says. He denies it, right? Well, what came out recently was his steroids, like his anabolic steroid schedule and like his stack of growth hormone and a bunch of other things. And so in that context... I missed that. Yeah. I was saying to Drew, I think it's important for people that are in the public eye that are influencers to be very... Like they should... It's not like you have to disclose everything, but you should be honest. And I think it's important for me as a middle-aged woman in the context of our conversation to say... Every year I do a perfractional, which is laser, stimulates collagen and elastin. And I think that has a lot to do with why my skin looks really, really good. I think some of it's genetics and I think some of it's my lifestyle. And then I do Botox. I've done Botox since I was 38. I started doing Botox because I have always had a super mobile forehead and that's where it started. And I still do Botox a couple times a year. I have done filler a few times. I've had it reversed as well. So I I think a lot of, if you chose to go that route and there's no judgment, if you do, you want to work with someone that's incredibly talented. You should never look like you've had work. Like you should never look like your face is immobile. You should never look like your lips look like, this is just my personal opinion. You shouldn't look like you have massive lips and like crazy high cheekbones 
And just understanding, like, I think those products are designed to be used subtly. But I think if you see some people like, like that are in Hollywood that are like the extremes, I'm like, you know, too much of any one thing is not a good thing. So in the context of this conversation, I feel like I should be transparent and say that obviously a laser is pretty benign in terms of stimulating collagen and elastin. And I don't per se have a problem with using Botox or fillers very discriminately because so much of the rest of my life is so incredibly healthy and balanced. And to the person in my DMs recently who was giving me a hard time about the fact that I shared those things, yeah, this is why people that are in, whether they're influencers, they're in the public eye, this is why people honestly don't want to share because they don't want to be criticized. But I don't care if anyone agrees or disagrees with that decision because to me, it's my decision. But with that being said, I think I would I would be doing the listeners a disservice if I didn't share that as well. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I am so enjoying this conversation. Wait, I have <laughs> I have some quick thoughts and questions. One, mentioning the laser, is that the same thing as BBL? So I, I'm going to say broadband light is different than the Brazilian butt lift because I, I very innocently last year said, oh, I got BBL. And people were like, you did? Yeah, you said that to me. I remember you were like, you said you're, you said you're getting BBL. So something about the next day and I was like, oh goodness, like that's like an intense surgery. Cause you're, I think we still recorded a podcast maybe the next day. And I was like, how is she doing this right now? Yeah. So, so this tells you how long I've been doing BBL. It was preceded the Brazilian butt lift, which I'm told is going out of favor, according to my plastic surgeon friends, which is a whole separate tangential rabbit hole that we won't jump down. So in conjunction with Perfractional, I do BBL. And what it's doing is any like brown pigmentation. I don't have a lot of hyperpigmentation in my skin. We do that preceding the Perfractional. I hate it. I hate both of them, honestly. It's like a love hate. It's like every, like my, I'm doing it in January, which is usually the month I do it and I hide for four days and then I feel fine. But with that being said, the laser in and of itself is looking for the pigmentation and helps dissolve it. So if you have some brown pigmentation, the, the laser will identify it, it'll help dissipate it, but it'll actually get darker for a couple of days or maybe a week and then it goes away. But for me, I think the two of those together have been super powerful. But for anyone that's just doing BBL, broadband light, it is not painless. So make sure whoever you're working with is like getting you prepared for that because it's almost like having a rubber band snapped against your skin. And as you can well imagine, doing it once is not a big deal. But if they're doing your whole face, that can be painful. So just make sure that they're giving you either topical lidocaine or you know, giving you something to make you feel comfortable. Although caveat, also check and make sure your practitioner lets you use that because <laughs> I, I think, oh yeah, it was during the podcast last time when we were talking about, I was going to go do it. And then I put on numbing cream during the podcast, which apparently is, you know, some people let you, but where I went, I went to Ideal Image, which I'll say their name because I think they're the biggest, you know, they're like the go-to place. They do not let you use numbing cream. So do not use numbing cream if you're going to them. Yeah. And in and, and my practitioner, they put it on for you. Like when you arrive, you arrive an hour before your treatment and they put it on for you. And, and with very few exceptions, I'm very comfortable with BBL. There are spots when I do perfractional that are tender, like along your forehead line. It freaks me out when they do underneath my eyes and my nose is a little sensitive. But beyond that, not bad. Not bad at all. I've heard that all therapy is the most painful thing. Orpheus is supposed to be very, very painful. I just, I can't, I'm not ready. Like even if someone were to give, and, and actually the person I go to who trains providers all over the United States doesn't use those technologies yet because she still feels like 
perfractional has just as much benefit. But every time I see her, I'm like, so what's the latest? And then she'll kind of get me caught up. What's really interesting though, because you mentioned the laser. So I was talking with a friend about whether or not I should do Botox or not. It's funny because he mentioned, you know, people doing lasers and Botox and, you know, whether or not you talk about it on social media. It's interesting that for some reason, Botox, I think has more of a stigma. Like I have like literally no issue talking about BBL or lasers or like that seems, that seems almost like biohacking in a way, but for some reason, Botox feels more fake. And I don't know why, because I was thinking about it more. It's, it's not even affecting your skin. It's just paralyzing the muscle underneath. So you're not wrinkling your forehead all the time and not forming those lines that last. So I find that really interesting. I mean, I think you could make the argument that, well, maybe not. It's going to say you can make the argument that Botox is biohacking, but. I mean, but I think you could. And here's the thing. Like I just interviewed Dr. Amy Kellen, who's a female biohacker physician, and she's so knowledgeable. And, you know, offline, we were having a discussion about some of the things that she does. She's very transparent. And and I, that's why I hope to be just as much for listeners so they can kind of, you know, get a, a true sense, like some of this is genetics, some of it's lifestyle, and then I get help from other things. And that's what we're sharing in the context of this conversation. But Amy was talking about, I mean, she does all the things, you know, PRP, you know, stem cell stuff. I mean, it's just, it's very interesting. You know, there's a continuum, like it's all very relative. Like to some people, Botox may be like taboo. And then others are like, I'll do everything up to surgery. And then some people are like, I want to do everything up to surgery and surgery. And there's no judgment provided that you can afford it and you're, you know, you're not body dysmorphic. I think that, you know, everyone has to decide what they're comfortable with and what makes sense. So from my perspective, I just wanted to add that caveat that I think I want to be fully transparent as a 51 year old female that I I try to do as many things as I can to feel as good as I look, you know, internally and, and reflect that externally as well. Yeah. I could not agree more. And then when I was talking to that friend, I said, I was like, well, it's a neurotoxin. He was like, well, wine's a neurotoxin. I'm like, well, good point. (laughs) Or alcohol. But yeah, no, I agree with the perspective and what's important to you and no judgment and just do you. I think it's just a healthier space to exist in. I I don't have the emotional bandwidth to sit around and be judgy of other people's choices. It's like, as long as you're not hurting anyone... There's very few absolutes where I'm kind of like, okay, that's not a good decision. You know, if you're harming yourself, a child, an animal, other humans, that's not good. But beyond that, it's like, I just don't have the bandwidth to worry about what everyone else is doing. It's like, if it works for you, that's great. If it doesn't, then, you know, course correct. And also one last thing to that point, and I mentioned this earlier, but it's like, oh, if you're getting Botox, people might think you're lying about the importance of safe skincare or anti-aging skincare. But if you think about it, they're all really important. Like doing a process where you're, you know, paralyzing the muscle and keeping wrinkles from forming from just the mechanics of your skin doesn't negate the super overwhelming importance of taking care of your skin. (laughs) Like you still need to do, you know, both. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 30% off one of my all-time favorite things for sleep ever. So did you know that your pillowcases can have truly anti-aging qualities for your skin, for your hair, and for your body? I am not making this up. Okay, so here is my silk pillowcase history. I started using silk pillowcases years ago. Here's the thing. It was hard to actually find silk pillowcases and budget. 
I wasn't sure what I was getting. The whole thing was just sort of sketchy and I never really had a great experience. Then I found Blissey. Blissey makes award-winning 100% mulberry silk pillowcases that are affordable and come in so many incredible patterns and colors. They are not satin. So that's one of the things. There are a lot of silk dupes on the market that are actually satin. Satin is made from synthetic fibers like polyester, aka plastic, while silk is a luxurious, all-natural, sustainable fiber. It's breathable, it's moisture wicking, it's gentle. I am all about sleep and sleeping cool is so important to me. Sleeping on silk is a game changer. It's like laying in a soft, comforting, cool cloud that just whisks you off to dreamland. When I travel or stay other places, I miss my blissy silk pillowcases so much. Although actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm gonna start bringing them with me when I travel. This is an in real time epiphany right here. I'm gonna start doing that. Okay, this is exciting. And I originally got them because I heard they were great for your hair and skin. Oh my goodness, that is so true. Sleeping on silk actually reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents breakages. It does that by keeping the moisture in your hair and not putting rubbing, tension, and pressure on your skin. If you wanna get your beauty rest, you need to be sleeping on silk pillowcases. Here's the other conundrum with silk pillowcases. When I would buy silk pillowcases in the past, the washing instructions were essentially the equivalent of don't wash them because silk is really delicate. Blissey is changing all of that. They are so high quality that they are machine washable and durable. Yes, I wash mine all the time and they still look the same as when I first bought them. It's really actually kind of crazy. They also make incredible presents. They come in adorable packaging that is gift ready. So if you need presents for birthdays, for holidays, stop stressing about that and get Blissey pillowcases. Everybody loves them. And yes, men love them too. Blissey was even the 2021 Good Housekeeping winner for Best Bedding and they've been featured in Oprah Daily, Allure, Glamour, Pop Sugar, and so much more. Blissey has over 1 million raving fans, and you could be next. And you can try it now risk-free for 60 nights. Yes, friends, risk-free. So if you don't like them, you can just send them back. But I don't think you'll want to do that, but just putting it out there. You can go to blissey.com slash podcast and get an additional 30% off. Yes, additional. So if they're on sale, you still get that 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash IF podcast and use code IF podcast to get an additional 30% off. Your skin and hair will thank you. Your sleep will thank you. Your body will thank you. I love Blissey. I am so excited to have them on this show. Blissey.com slash IF podcast with code IF podcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. I take AG1 several times a week after working out and when I'm ready to break my fast. And it really makes me feel unstoppable. I love to add it to a protein smoothie or actually will drink it with filtered water. And I love both variations. My 17 year old also enjoys AG1 after a workout to ensure he stays really well hydrated. A great deal of what I focus on in my personal life is ongoing gut health improvement. And I do feel fundamentally that AG1 has contributed significantly to improvements in my gut health over the last three years. I feel as if the key health benefits from multivitamins, minerals, pre and postbiotics all work together synergistically to improve my gut microbiome. And AG1 is way more than just greens. It's important to note that it's made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that deliver incredible benefits to the gut microbiome, as well as sleep support, assistance with energy, and so much more. 
So if you want to take full ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I find that these five free travel packs are so convenient when you're traveling. In fact, I was in Los Angeles last week and I used one each day that I was away. Go to athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast. That's athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast and check it out. Damon wanted to know laser hair removal. Is it worth it? Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I, it's funny. You do laser therapy and then you realize in your forties and fit and into your early fifties, like you're not, you don't have as much body hair. So I'm like, what was I thinking? I went gangbusters in my thirties. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. That's literally, I don't think I commented on barely any of the comments in the thread, but then when I saw this one, all I did was I wrote, yes, <laughs> all, all, all caps. Yeah. Well, think about it. Like people spend years doing bikini waxes and electrolysis and. And think about like forgetting to shave your underarms or your legs. You don't have to anymore. Yeah. Although, you know, it's funny. Like I did, I did my legs and my bikini area and I guess I took too well to it because I bought a package and then they were like, you literally, you've done so well. Like what else can we do? <laughs> what else can we, what else can we do for you? But for me, it was like life-changing because I had done like bikini waxes every month for forever and eternity. And then all of a sudden I was like, this is great. It's funny because, you know, when they try to sell you stuff and they're like, this will be the best thing ever. And you're like, but really? No, it really is. <laughs> no, no. It's a, it's a resounding. It is worth every penny, every single penny. Yeah. Yeah. I've done the Brazilian, the arms, the legs. Now I'm doing the upper lip. I think that's everything. <laughs> I think like there's nothing left. I had blonde hair on my face, so I couldn't, you know, I've been just doing dermaplaning because to me it's, and it's like, there's a, here's a fun topic for conversation during the pandemic when I could not get to get threaded or dermaplaning or anything, my anesthetician had recommended something called Tinkle, T-I-N-K-L-E. You can find it on Amazon. It's like really inexpensive and it's a little like razor for women. So you can get rid of fuzz on your face. Oh my God, life changing. I literally was like, what was I spending all this money on threading for, for years? And then, you know, like waxing before that, I was like, oh my God. Is it special or is it just a little razor? Yeah. So it's for like your face and it's not as strong as what a man would use. And to me, it's like, I can use it in between facials and it's amazing. Just amazing for all those like little weird hairs. If you don't want to just tweeze them, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So highly recommend. You can get, they always have these at like Marshall's and TJ Maxx. Maybe not that brand, but I use those or I used to. Oh no, I still do because I'm still doing the, the upper lip. Okay. Here's a back to non-skincare health beauty related things. What are your top three book recommendations besides your own? Okay. I've given this a lot of thought. I would say the books that are really, in terms of health and wellness, I'm going to just leave it there because there's so many books, but I would say the books that really shifted my perspective on a lot of different things, the XX Brain by Dr. Lisa Moscone, who I've been trying to interview for a year. She's like knee deep in research. She works at Cornell. And that book helped me solidify why women and this is my opinion, why women can benefit from hormone replacement therapy. I would say the other book that I found really helpful, like in that space is Why Estrogen Matters by Dr. Avram Blumming and Carol Tavers. I have had him on the podcast. We will 
link that in the show notes. The Women's Health Initiative is probably the most detrimental study that's ever been conducted on women in terms of the net impact on practitioners prescribing hormones and women taking hormones. So you have a whole generation of clinicians and women who are fearful to take and or prescribe medications. And then I would say most recently, a book that really has had what I would say is this book is the book I can read now because I've done the work. The Myth of Normal by Dr. Gabor Mate. And that podcast will be out with him on December 24th. And so talking about the role of trauma in your life, I mean, he's changing the narrative for the way that we view trauma and doing it in a way that is through the lens of compassion. And as someone that's a survivor of childhood trauma, both physical and emotional, for me, that book was just allowed me to view my parents from a very compassionate lens. So I would say those books right now in terms of health and wellness are the books that I probably recommend the most. For full disclosure, they're not easy breezy reads. Lisa Moscone's book, I think, is, is one that I recommend quite a bit to patients and clients that is more accessible. Myth and Normal is excellent. It's long. And I would say that Why Estrogen Matters is a good read as well. How about you? Those are really awesome recommendations. So I think my, my favorite is Lifespan. Oh, wait, no, I'm torn. Well, okay. So Lifespan, David Sinclair's book, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. It's basically just everything I'm obsessed with. And what I love when I interviewed him on the show, I might've told you this. Did you know he drew all of the characters in the back? Really? So talented. Yeah. So he said that because in the very back, there's hand-drawn pictures of the people and everything. He drew all of those. And he said he said he drew them because he wanted to put the actual pictures or whatever, but they couldn't get the rights to everything. So he's like, I'll just draw it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Well, you know, that would be, you know, that's along the lines of like when I'm in awe of people that are doing something artistic on a stage in the performing arts, like, I, okay, like he, there's another level to my respect for him. Yeah, no, it's insane. And if so if you listen to my, that was the first interview I had with him. If you listen to it, he tells me this in real time and I'm just like in shock, <laughs> like in shock. So then I'll probably say, oh, this is so hard. You know what? I haven't read The Paleo Solution since I read it in like 2012, but that's that's what changed my life. Like that's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today. So Rob Wolf's book, I think I will have to include that. I'm torn between James Nestor's Breath and I think I might have to do Kelly McGonigal's The Upside of Stress just because that book, you know, I haven't even, I need to try to get her on the show. That book was so valuable for me because I started stressing so much about stress, which yes, stress has a lot of negative health effects. That's no surprise. That's not really negotiable, but there's this whole aspect to it where perception affects how stress affects you. And so reading that book took the biggest weight off of my shoulders about stress and how you can reframe your experience of stress and, and use it to your benefit rather than as a detriment. I love that. It's kind of like someone said to me years ago, trying to pick your favorite book is like trying to pick your favorite child. It's impossible. Like where I sit, where my desk is in my study, I literally have the the ability to see hundreds of books. And it's so hard because there's so many great books that I've read, but it's impossible to 
have a favorite, but those three, just for listeners to understand, like those are the three that have had the most impact on me. Like they've just completely blown my mind. And obviously the ones that Melanie is identifying two out of three I've already read, but I'm always reading just like Melanie. I've actually got Sally Norton's new book on my floor to read. I'm like, after I get done with podcast prep for this week. I feel so bad because I I always get her confused with Susan Owens because they both talk about oxalates a lot. I've had her on the show. Yeah, this will be my first time. I mean, I haven't, I've had one other oxalate expert who I think is trained with her, but her book is coming out. And so I was like, you know, it's probably time to revisit the oxalate issue. That's awesome. I didn't realize she had a new book coming out. Yeah, it's called Toxic Superfoods. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there will be lots of overlap with, you know, Gundry's kind of methodologies about plant-based toxins. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Here's a quick one. What is your this is from Danielle. What is your favorite holiday tradition? You know, I think a lot of the traditions that are important for us is just a lot of togetherness, a lot of disconnection from work and social media and things like that. But I would say There's a lot of things that we have done as a family, like including like decorating the tree, decorating the house, you know, making cookies. When my kids were younger, they were more interested, invested in those things. But I think it's the quietness around like Christmas Eve when we, you know, we go to mass and then we read particular Christmas books and then, you know, there's a nice meal and just savoring that time. You know, there was a recent study that came out and it talked about how much time you spend with different people throughout your lifetime. And as someone with a 17-year-old and 15-year-old, like I read this study and I just like my heart hurt. But the the great thing that I'm going to bring to this conversation is that it just reaffirms why it's so important to connect with one another. So when I think about holidays, I just see it as connection, like spending time together, making meals together, making memories together, not per se like one specific thing. Like, do we drive around and look at Christmas lights? Yes. Do we, you know, make specific kinds of meals? Yes. But what I value the most, especially now that my kids are older, is just being together, being silly, you know, watching movies, you know, trying to deal with all of the challenges of navigating in-laws and parents and expectations for kids and everything else. How about you? Do you does your family have special traditions around Christmas or the holidays? Well, first of all, I yeah, I'm obsessed with everything Christmas. And mine was basically the same. On Christmas Eve, we'd always had a tradition growing up of opening like one present the night before and trying to make it a present that is something we could do together. So normally it's like if somebody gave somebody a game or something, and then we would do the gift. And yeah, that's always been my my favorite thing, hands down. And like, we are a big like wine loving family. So like having the Christmas wine and like opening the presents and the Christmas Eve and playing the music, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I just, I am all about it. I love it. And actually what we've started doing, I feel like it's been ever since everybody's been adults, it's been changing around. But now sometimes we, I think last year, maybe even the year before we opened all of our presents just on Christmas Eve the night before, because people are more, I don't know, spirited and lively in the evening than like coming all over during the day. We've tried that. My kids always beg. My husband's kind of a traditionalist about the gift stuff. I think because I grew up with divorced parents, we just opened gifts when we opened gifts. It wasn't regimented. And so my kids every year are like, can't we just open gifts on Christmas Eve? 
And my husband gets very like rigid, like he has to, you know, have a certain tr- like there's a whole, and I just always say my husband's 90, 10, 90% of the time he's really easygoing. And if he gets fixated on one thing, I just tell the kids back off. So yeah, we, they're allowed to open one gift on Christmas Eve and then the rest on Christmas. Yeah. We didn't start doing this until very recently and we're all like very much adults now, but growing up, like your kid's age, we never did more than one the night before. I don't think we even wanted to. My dad is that way with <laughs> with Monopoly. Like, because Mon- Monopoly is always the game we would always play. And we'd always want to do things like play. You know how there's like 50 million spinoffs of Monopoly? Like all the different themes? Nope. He like only wants to play the original. And we would always have debates about like the rules. And, you know, because there's a lot of like, I think like little fun things you can add or like change the rules a little bit. Nope. <laughs> like, had to be the traditional way in the rule book. I'm married to an engineer, so I'll just I'll just leave that there. Anyone that's married to engineers, no engineers, you understand they're they can be a little rigid sometimes, but I give him a lot of credit because he's usually pretty laid back about a lot of other things. So funny. Two last quick ones. So one sort of health related. Leslie says, I work at Hotworks 24 hour infrared fitness studio. What do you think about a 3D workout, heat exercise, infrared sauna? Okay. I, I know exactly what Hotworks is and I, I love the idea. I'm going to come at this from two two lenses. So number one, I hate being hot, really hot when I'm exercising. Hate it. Like warm yoga, good. Ashtanga yoga that's at like 105 degrees. No, don't enjoy it at all. So for me personally, that would be a no because I, I just don't enjoy being really hot unless it's hot because I'm exercising at a level that I'm increasing my basal metabolic rate and my internal, you know, internal thermostat. Number two, I think the concept of, you know, a 3D workout sounds great. I think it's probably highly bio-individual. So if you are a 25-year-old woman who is really lean and you're pushing yourself all the time and you're not getting a menstrual cycle and you're overdoing it, I kind of call it the triad over fasting, over exercising, over restricting. But I think for probably the average person, it's probably like a fun way to exercise. But we have to think about what heat and exercise are. They're forms of hormesis. So it's it's the right amount of stress at the right time. And so I think that it's important to recognize like, where are you in your cycle? How is your sleep? What's your stress like? Like it's just adding additional stressors to your body. So I think in the context of someone who's sleeping well, who's in the follicular phase of their menstrual cycle, who doesn't have too much stress, that's not overdoing it and is staying hydrated, it's probably fun. That would be my guess. That was basically my answer, was that I think it could be really great. Like it can be a great way of sort of hacking and getting more bang for your buck as far as benefits go. But you also need to know yourself. And I'm literally just spitting out what you just said, but (laughs) you have to know yourself. And you know, some people, it's going to be too much and it's going to be overdoing it. And it's not going to have the beneficial effects in the long term because it's not allowing the adequate, you know, recovery in between. And if it's fitting into an overly stressful lifestyle anyway, it might not be the way to go. So I think you really just have to to know yourself. I haven't done hot works. Yeah. And I was saying, no offense to anyone who loves working out in a super hot environment. I hate it. I've been that way my whole life. Hate it with a capital H. So for me, like if I went to the gym and it was cold in the gym. Good. If I walk outside and it's kind of hot and humid, not as interested in walking as long. But it's not that 
I don't see the utility. I just personally hate being that hot. I hate it. Just despise it. And the only thing I can compare it to is like being in Morocco, which was like an oven. (laughs) So we're telling my husband, I don't think we'll ever come back because it was just so hot. I'm the same. Besides my sauna sessions where like the purpose is being hot and it's relaxing, especially with infrared, not getting that hot, but I'm not about the heat. I'm all about the cold. It is getting, are you guys getting a crazy cold front? Because it's getting down next week to like 10 degrees. It doesn't get 10 degrees here. Yeah. Atlanta's going to be in a kerfuffle. Yeah. It, for me, it's like to when I walked my dogs this morning, it was 30 degrees and it's like perfect for them. I put a hat on, I've got like, you know, a light jacket on and I'm totally happy. I'm so pumped, especially because the last few years it's been warm on Christmas. It's going to be like 15 degrees. I am all about it. This is going to be great. Yeah. I, I just feel like Christmas should be cold. Like we had, gosh, it's probably 10 years ago. We got snow in Virginia on Christmas Eve and it was like a dusting, but that's still like in Northern Virginia, that's a shutdown mode. Like everyone's freaking out. And I was like, this is completely appropriate. I'm just worried about ever since that Texas, was it Austin or wherever when it got really cold and it didn't it mess up all of the water, like the, the pipes and everything. I'm like, please, that cannot happen. I need my toilet. Well, you know what they always say. I lived in a neighborhood in Northern Virginia and most of the homes were new construction when people bought them and, you know, the builder knucklehead that they were, a lot of exterior pipes were freezing during really cold spells. And so if you're ever concerned about like your water freezing in a pipe, you can always like keep your water like a little drip just to kind of keep things moving. But yeah, lots of experience with friends who went through that. Not fun. Not fun at all. Yeah, they always post, when it starts getting cold, they post signs everywhere saying, you know, freeze warning and let your faucets drip. So, okay. Well, this was fun. This is definitely going to be a two-parter. I'm thinking it's probably going to be a three-parter, maybe a (laughs) four-parter. So um, in any case, for listeners, if they would like to submit their own questions for the show, And if this is your first episode listening, which since we get so many listeners, it probably is somebody's first episode listening. Welcome to that person. Normally we talk about intermittent fasting a little bit more. You can submit your own questions to questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 300. Those show notes will have a full transcript as well as links to everything that we talked about. So definitely check that out. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. I think that is all the things. Well, this has been really, really fun, Cynthia. Anything from you before we go? No, I'm looking forward to round number two. All right. Sounds good. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.